Thanks for taking the time to listen to this Mental Health Network podcast. For all the latest news and resources, and to find out more about the Mental Health Network, please visit nhsconfed.org forward slash MHN. Welcome everyone to this second podcast um, of our series on LGBTQ plus visibility within the healthcare workforce. I'm Peter Molyneux, I'm the chair of Sussex Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, and my role is to guide us through a discussion on what feels like a really relevant topic. In this episode, I'm joined by a panel of LGBTQ plus advocates and leaders from the healthcare sector to discuss what leaders can do to support LGBTQ plus staff and how doing so can improve the quality of services. So, without further ado, I want to bring our panel into the conversation. And I'm going to ask um, you, Simon, perhaps to start by introducing yourself. I'm Simon Blake. I'm the Chief Executive of Mental Health First Aid England, which is a social enterprise and Deputy Chair of Stonewall, the LGBT charity. Hello, I'm Carolyn Regan. I'm the Chief Executive of West London NHS Trust. And I'm Alfredo Thompson. I'm the Workforce Programmes Director at North Middlesex University Hospital. I'd be really interested in, in what, what's your experience been um, in the workplace of being openly LGBTQ+. Caroline, do you want to, okay. to start? Sure. I, I was going to say it helps, but I don't know if that's the right word, that I've been out for about 35 years. Um, although when, uh, when I was uh, a younger uh, manager in the NHS and in my early career, um, people asked some very strange questions like, um, is it contagious being a lesbian? I remember being asked at a London teaching hospital and I, my answer was, I hope so. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then having children when it was quite unusual. Uh, people asked me, you know, how I got the children and where I found them kind of thing. So I had some strange questions. I think it's definitely improved. I think seniority helps and I think location. I mean, I'm mainly worked in the southeast, mostly in London, with some time in Hertfordshire and also in Essex. So I think I've been very fortunate and I hope things are improving. What's my experience been? Mostly positive, but I would say that it's quite exhausting when you're coming out every day. And that is the reality for lots and lots of us. And if it's not every day, it's certainly every week. And mm. and it's often a, a you know, it's less of a calculated decision now, perhaps because of seniority, perhaps because the world is changing, perhaps because of the organisations that I choose to work in. But you know, that is the reality. And it's not just other people's reactions, of course, it's that often our own experiences of growing up also lead to some of the self-doubt, some of the um, you know, insecurities that I think do leave, leave their mark on us as we move into adulthood. So I think for me joining the NHS about uh, 11 years ago, um, I joined the NHS as an openly gay man um, who also happens to be from the Caribbean. And I think my, I really reflected on this question and my experiences have been positive by and large. And, and I think in, in the NHS, I think in, in my earlier career, I have been asked um, really ridiculous questions, but that was in a different context. I think in the NHS, um, while it hasn't been overt, um, like Simon says, coming out, um, you do get the odd reactions when people find out and, and you, you see the body language change and the, you know, um, people tensing up. 
a little bit. Um, have had the questions in terms of ridiculous questions, um, like whether I'm the man or the woman in the relationship. Um, so, so, but by and large, it has been positive. I mean, I think it's. I mean, interesting. I mean, I've also been out for thirty-five years, and so I went through the eighties. I went through the AIDS and HIV mm. crisis, and I think that means I have, you know, I have a set of experiences that still inform um, the way I way I am today. I, I suppose I'm quite interested in um, what challenges younger LGBTQ plus staff are facing. You know, how it how it looks if you're at the beginning um, of, of, of your career. And I wonder what it is we might, what challenges they might be, might be facing um, and how we might sort of help them to navigate some of those, some of those challenges. So I suppose it's um, looking at the, the culture of an organisation and what it stands for when you apply for a job or when you're in training in a professional role. And, um, and I guess people will be um, feeling apprehensive, um, unsure of the, the kind of values of the organisation. And I would say sort of look for not just what people say on paper, but how organisations um, promote diversity and LGBTQ issues. So we've got some initiatives which I'm sure aren't unique to us about rainbow lanyards, about um, having a, a float at Pride every year, having an LGBTQ group which reports directly to the board. And those sort of initiatives are very much embraced by not just um, staff, but also trainees in the organisation. Alfredo. I absolutely agree with that as well. It is about the organisational values. It is about making sure that the environment within which people join the NHS is all inclusive um, and I think I, I think it is about making new joiners to the NHS at whatever level of their careers they're, they're at um, feel really welcome and a part of the NHS um, and like we can truly be genuine about who we are when 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 we come to work um, being being gay is doesn't mean that I have to leave that at the door when I when I when I turn up at work um, and it is about making sure that our policies and our practices and and the language that we use at work particularly is is, is very inclusive and it's asking isn't it what are the things which we can do as leaders it's it's really important that anybody feels able to look on the website and, and find things but what are we doing in our joining letters in our induction processes in um, in, in asking people in ways which they feel comfortable and saying, is, yeah, are there things which you can do? You know, checking pronouns. You know, all of those sorts of things are really straightforward, cheap and easy things, free, <laughs> most yeah. of them, and yeah. easy things that we can do all the time. And, and those are the things that you'll send real messages um, to, to people. And I guess your question, what do people fear? I think it, it, it's really interesting. Um, my nephew is um, training to be a doctor and so I've talked to quite a lot of people who are training to be doctors at the moment and, and some of whom are, um, are LGBT um, and they you know, have the same fears actually, <laughs> the same fears of going into the workplace and what Stonewall's um, uh, research shows is that a lot of people go back into the closet having successfully come out and navigated their way through university going back into going into employment they decide to hide who they are 
I was just going to use an example. My daughter-in-law, who's French-Canadian, has just applied for a job, and she showed me the pre-employment checks. And the, the way the form was worded, with a much wider choice of titles and pronouns, I mean, we're a long way from that in the NHS, and we need to think about what's on our application forms. Absolutely, and, and, and I think just to um, echo that, our national um, payroll database, ESR, um, we can only record whether that we're male or female. There is no other option available there. So I think from it's, it starts off with the application form because that sets the tone in terms of being truly inclusive. So I suppose that leads quite nicely to what do you want leaders to do? And I suppose that I suppose that splits into what do you want those leaders who are LGBTQ plus to do, and what do you want leaders as allies? Alfredo, I think there's a lot that we can do in terms of influencing policy change and language change in organisations. Um, so I think it's looking at things like uh, would we be willing to offer the same level of leave to a, a gay man who has just had a baby as, as we would to a, a heterosexual woman. Um, and I think a lot of our policies are still designed and, and developed along gender lines, traditional gender lines. And it's what can we do in terms of, of, of making it genuinely more inclusive um, and, and setting the language and, and the tone as, as Simon mentioned. I think the other part of that is recognising that as leaders in the organisation, whether at whichever level that we're at, it's that we are always on stage and people are always looking at us and we can use we can use where we're at in terms of the organization to have healthy challenges in terms of um, what is in some cases seen as not being normal um, in, in some situations as still. Mm. Carolyn. I think um, uh, endorse what's been said. I think authentic leadership goes quite a long way. So, so talking to people about their partners, their interests, etc., um, and and not being judgmental. Um, I think supporting staff when they come across uh, come up against homophobic abuse by service users, which is quite difficult. Um, I, I went to see a complainant on a mental health ward who said, I've got a complaint about all the staff, there's too many gays on this ward. And I said, well, I'm a lesbian. Uh, do you still want to talk to me about your complaint? And he'd specifically asked to see the chief executive. I mean, I did say to the clinical director first, will this, um, will this be an appropriate response from me? Um, which is interesting. But um, so I think supporting staff, I think authentic leadership, and I think really thinking about the, the visual um, signs that you put across. So looking in your annual report, is there anything about diversity? Um, and, um, and, you know, supporting different social and um, community events that are happening. So I suppose one of, the, one of the, the things that strikes me is that we have a number of potential mechanisms to help people navigate mm -hmm. the NHS as staff. I mean, staff, ne staff networks has, has obviously been seen as quite an important tool yeah. in turn. But there's something for me about also actually how do we make sure that we're capturing the stories, the sort of story, Caroline, that you captured because you're a visible mm. CEO, so mm. you were talking directly to a patient. But I mm. suspect those versions of that story are going on across services every day, and it's how we how do we, you know, what are the tools we've got that help staff to navigate? 
and what, what in your experience has worked, worked well? So I think um, having LGBTQ groups um, to support staff in different work settings, I think having different uh, champions at board level and a direct reporting line, and really having an emphasis on um, uh, visible leadership at every level. So having people out there having listening events and engagement events and induction programs for everyone, regardless of who you are in the organization. We do one every month now. We get about 110 staff, and it includes um, porters, consultants, nurses, finance staff, etc., etc. So everyone goes to a corporate induction, and they hear about the values from me on day one. But I think that's got to go through the whole organization. It's got to go ward level and at service level and at team level, and, and, and that's the challenge. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it, it is about... Um, from day one, setting the stone from day one. So what's worked really well for us recently is the launch of the NHS badge um, uh, program and, and campaign and including that in induction and um, just having the talk about, you know, do you want to sign up to this? Do you, do you want to learn more about, uh, about this in, in, in our organisation and what support is there within the two boroughs that we serve? Um, and majority of our staff sign up, um, and majority of our staff wear the NHS badge proudly around the, the rainbow badge around um, the organisation as well. We're talking about you know how do people navigate the NHS as employees, and I suppose that's all that's all predicated on a belief that you know compassionate, safe, effective care is both achieved by seeing the whole of the person in front of you and not just, not just seeing a treatment episode, but it's also a belief that you can more easily deliver mm. safe, effective, compassionate care if you're bringing the whole of yourself um, to, the, to the situation. I mean, how much do, we, do you think it's fully appreciated that having a visible LGBTQ plus workforce improves the experience of service users? It's patchy, I'm not sure people uh, I'm not sure everyone believes that. Um, I think uh, some people pay lip service to it. I think you can usually kind of um, test people's authenticity from the second thing they say, if not the first thing. Um, and and I, I, think, uh, I think we've got to challenge that. I mean, I think if we genuinely believe that we provide better safer, uh, more holistic, accessible services, then that's what we're trying to put into practice. But, you know, you sometimes hear teams and people talking about, um, oh yeah, I'm here for the patients, but I don't want to do A and I don't want to do B and, you know, I have to go home at four o'clock or whatever it is. So I, I think challenging that and not always the same people challenging that. I think, you know, sharing that um, can only improve the services for, for people who are using them, and that's got to be what it's all about at the end of the day. I would echo that, and I think um, I've heard stories from colleagues who, other colleagues who work in the NHS um, about um, the level of uncomfortable um, interaction that happens when um, some of them find out that their their service users or their patients are um, identifiable with LGBT, particularly when it comes to trans. Um, there's still there's still a lot of um, 
uncomfortable discussions that happened at both at the clinical level as well as other levels when it comes to well how 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 are we going to deliver that care that 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 individual needs um, are we going to host them in a male ward are we going to host them in a female ward what does our policy say um, and sometimes some of the questions that um, are asked we know that would never ever be asked if 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 you just look at it from a from a male female point of view I mean, I guess <clears throat> just reflecting on that a bit and thinking how easy it is for, to forget that behind those three letters, the NHS, are just a whole load of people who yeah. want to provide really excellent care with all sorts of different identities and experiences. And when my, my family's had experience with the healthcare system, it's always been really positive because of the individual people, some of whom will be gay, some of whom will be um, uh, straight, some of whom will be um, from different uh, countries of origin. But when people talk about the NHS, it loses that humanity. It loses that sense, of, often in my, my sort of sense. And so trying to constantly remind people that these are people who care, some of whom will have yeah, all sorts of different facets of their identities and experiences is a really important part, I think, of, of improving the experiences of both staff but also of service users. In terms of people who are mid-career and looking to advance in their careers, what would your advice be in terms of how you, how you manage that? I'm really surprised, actually, to sit here today and we had a conversation, Caroline and I, yeah. And Frida before about quite we'd expected to be able to reel off lots and lots of names and then when actually thought about it realized that there weren't as many LGB and T people at yeah. top of their career so I guess from a mid-career perspective I mean that that has to change doesn't it there should not be people who are lesbian gay bisexual transgender in the mid-career who are looking and thinking um, if I want to succeed in this organization I need to hide a part of myself um, and if that is a situation which is currently done then that has to change pretty damn quick. I think that's right so I had a conversation with a, a, a friend quite recently and we were saying oh there must be loads of LGBTQ uh, chief execs and she said well name some and I named a few um, and then I and I've been thinking about it ever since so that led me to, to think well um, are we just not represented at senior levels or is there more we should do? And, and what is that doing to people who, who feel they can't be their true selves while they are doing these very difficult, challenging jobs in health and social care? So, I mean, I, my advice to any middle manager about this or anyone else is um, choose who you work for. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know look around there are lots of jobs that's one thing about the NHS so think about who you work for and and what the team is and what it stands for and what you can learn from them completely agree with that it is about it is about choice and it is about um, it's also about being sure that you are genuine to yourself and you're authentic um, because the jobs in the NHS can be quite challenging both emotionally and in terms of of, of physically at times. Um, I think what we can do in terms of the advice that I would give to a middle manager is recognizing that there are plenty of organizations out there um, who are willing to listen if, you, if you're struggling. Um, but 
I am sure that each one of us at any level of the organization has a trusted colleague at work that we can speak to about, about some of the challenges that we're facing. Um, I think if being gay in my case is really genuinely an issue, then I do not belong in that organization. And it's about being uh, assertive enough and being confident enough in, in myself um, or in yourself to know that there are other plenty of other organizations who want you and that you, you, you are valued and you have lots, of, uh, lots to bring to the table. So if we look forward five years, and you're each, you're each allowed to have a magic wand <laughs> for the purposes <laughs> of this conversation. What would you like to see for the LGBTQ plus workforce in five years time? So the real practical things for me, mm -hmm. um, first of all, being able to record that, you know, somebody is trans or non-binary. Um, I think if, if that's their choice, um, I think it's also about, um, I, I recall, and, and this is really, really, really um, practical example. I recall in the previous organization that I worked in, we decided to make uh, all the toilets unisex. And that caused such a big stink for some, for some of our, pardon the pun, uh, for, for, <laughs> for some, of, uh, some, some of my colleagues. Um, but it is about working in an environment where um, where that is not an issue, where, where if, if I am gay, if I am trans, if I am lesbian, um, that's absolutely all right. It, it, it's not even a topic of discussion. Um, and I, again, I think that's what I would like to see within the next five years. Colin. I was going to say something similar, um, where things have changed so much that actually these kinds of conversations are no longer necessary. And we're talking about something else because we've all moved on and um, adapted and, and changed and learnt. So that would be great. And, and as a result, our services would be truly accessible and uh, open to it uh, and, and outstanding for anyone who wants them. <coughs> I guess visibility at all levels of the L, the G, the B, the T and the plus, mm -hmm. plus, plus. So that's a real sense of visibility because that would demonstrate that something was shifting and, and changing. And I guess then that feeling, you have a feeling if you are working in the NHS that you belong mm. and that you're safe because everybody that gives so much of themselves to the well-being of others should have that absolute feeling of belonging and safety in their day-to-day. -day. I mean, I think given the, given the over-representation of people who are LGBTQ plus in mental health mm. Mm. services, I mean, I think that one, I would like to see that over-representation reducing, but the fact that actually all of those people feel that they are getting absolutely the right services from staff who feel they can bring mm. their authentic selves to, that, to their care. And uh, that may take a little bit longer than five years, but, it's, <laughs> worth it, but it's, worth, it's worth going, it's worth going, it's worth going at. We've come to the end of our time. Um, thank you all so much. Thank you, Alfredo, Simon. Carolyn for your contribution this morning. If you haven't done so already, please do listen to part one of the podcast and be sure to share this series far and wide to all those who you think uh, would be interested and who might benefit from what, uh, what we've uh, talked about today. Um, I've been Peter Molyneux. Thank you for listening. <laughs>